Headlers, welcome back to Blowout. Today we're trying something a little bit different. We've got Heddle's editor and writer, Reed Nelson, here with us, who's been on board for like three and a half years now. Based in New York, I'm coming to you from Denver. I hope you enjoy it, and I just want to take a minute to tell you about a new offering we've got, Teamster Tees, that uh, I was looking for a blank to use to make some, like, Heddle's uh, printed shirts, and realized that to use a, you know, $2 made in a sweatshop uh, somewhere in a developing country, Gildan blank, would pretty much go against everything that we try to stand for. So in searching for an ideal blank, I found sort of the ideal value t-shirt that is uh, made in USA from American grown and milled and knit cotton by unionized laborers, the Teamsters specifically. They've got this like really neat woven label uh, on the collar that has the Teamster crest in them. They are a super heavyweight uh, white, you know, plain cotton t-shirt the details of which are really understated, but it's really solid. And if it was a thing that, uh, if any of you remember the Great White T-shirt review I did a couple of years ago, if I had found these in time, it would have been just the ideal T-shirt to win the value pick there. But uh, now that I've discovered them, and it's really something that you can only get as uh, a wholesaler, so you can't buy them at any other store. So we just put in a big order. Uh, to put more of them in the shop. The small like test order I did sold out very, very quickly. So if you want to get your hands on a pair, or not a pair, you could get two Teamster Tees. If you want to get your hands on a Teamster Tee, uh, head on over to shop.heddles.com where they will be back in stock very soon. And as always, use the code BLOWOUT for 10% off your order. We are going to take you through some... Uh local or not local current events um that are happening in the heddles and tangential to the heddles world so reed thank you for joining me on this uh podcast experiment uh happy to be here they're local for some people they are local for some people we're, we're gonna get into one that is local for you and uh previously local for me first one being about sort of the retail apocalypse that's happening in new york city right now specifically manhattan there was a piece in the times last week about sort of the mass exodus of retail which you know used to be sort of the capital of cnbc and global retail but is turning sort of into a ghost town now that tourists and even locals aren't in the city anymore and it was like it might be you know like maybe soho will be cool again is like if you're in specifically that part of Manhattan, that's where like Gucci and APC and G Star and all these big like international brands are, and that's the only people that can really afford it because the rent there is hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a month. Um, there's a loss leader for most of these shops, and just so they can be there and say like, hey, we've got a location in Soho. And just sort of have that flex and, you know, sell more shit online or sell more stuff to uh, larger, like, retailers. Um, so you're in New York, Reed. I haven't lived there for a couple of years. Uh, how bad is it? It's an apocalypse. No, it's... it's oh, bad. man. It's bad. Um, some stores in Soho are open again. Um some stores just around Manhattan, they all have very weird hours. They're like rocking like a Wednesday to Saturday, Wednesday to Sunday schedule if they're back. 
Um, doesn't seem like the enthusiasm's quite there for for shopping. If they are, the huge ones are not not back from what I've seen. Uh, like the million dollar a month rents that you've uh, just briefly discussed. I think Adidas has that three story um, store on. I think it's on West Broadway. That's just uh, it's massive. And I don't think that's open. That wasn't open when I went walk past. I could be wrong. I apologize to Adidas if they are. Um, have, go try it. No um, offense to the three stripes. Yeah, go try it. I don't. I, but yeah, no, it's it is very bad. Brooklyn, where I am, isn't good either. A lot of like very small stores that I I appreciate. Um, not all clothing, but uh, quite a few are are gone. I think a hundred in Greenpoint Williamsburg alone have closed for good. Uh, Bushwick where I am is um, I think it's kind of unclear what is gone and what's coming back. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's not good. I, I, I have no idea what the landlords who are charging like a, a straight million dollars a month are going to do after this. Um, there was, I, I don't think Victoria's secret for instance has paid their rent in in months in Herald Square and that's a million dollars or just about um I just, weird solidarity times when you know uh Victoria's Secret and other multinational corporations are protesting the rent <laughs> yes Pro- I'm sure they're doing it for the little people you know they're they're out there in these streets with us um while mm-hmm. we are the people but yeah I I don't know I think it'll be interesting to see if Soho, like you said, can become cool again. I don't, I imagine that the people who own those properties are, if not resilient, will sell to folks that are. Um, but it would be cool is the wrong word because the amount of disruption that would have to occur uh, is terrifying. But I guess it would be interesting to sort of see what a, like a, sh- a reshuffled New York would look like. There's too many mm-hmm. people not to, not to make the places that, at least start are kind of like popping like work again, if that makes sense. I think there's just too much foot traffic in those areas, too many trains um, to ever abandon it completely at this point. But there has to be something that changes because no one, no one's going to be paying for those, those costs. Like you said, they're loss leaders before, but now those loss leaders are, are four companies that have filed for bankruptcy in certain situations. J crew has a few different stores in Soho. I, I can't imagine that they're going to be holding on to those uh, no. for much longer. Yeah. And then they don't own any of these properties either. They're renting. And it's a thing that like when I lived in New York, I imagined Manhattan as a giant like vault full of safety deposit boxes. And that, real estate in New York was like primarily just an investment that like people didn't really care about what it was. They had just sort of like capitalized like all of these like properties uh, into money that, you know, it didn't matter if it was like a T bond or something. It was just like rich people were putting their money in property and money in. Yeah. Like money in Manhattan is a good bet. So they don't It was like the uber wealthiest version of a Supreme drop. Like it didn't matter what you were grabbing on Thursday, as long as you were grabbing something, you could probably flip it for a profit. Yeah, like a ten million dollar condo in Midtown. Like, okay, like if you're some uh, oil baron from Russia, like that's going to be a good return for you and probably way more stable than any bank that you could put ten million dollars into. 
uh, where you have access to it. And like that's, you know, hyper inflating a lot of the real estate in that area because it's taking that stuff out of the market. But like in even when I was in Brooklyn, like two years ago, the like a lot of my neighborhood and like surrounding neighborhoods were just empty storefronts for people waiting for those major corporations that can put down like three months rent and like uh, guarantee a year of rent at, you know, one hundred thousand dollars a month which is few and far between it is impossible as a small business. Yeah. And if you don't have that, the stores generally suck. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say it any other way. If you, if you just have stores that are there to make an impression, the, the contents of the stores probably aren't going to be a whole lot of fun. And that's not to say that there weren't great stores in Soho and aren't great stores in Soho currently, or, that this was a problem that didn't exist prior to uh, COVID. Like those streets were empty or getting empty um, for, for a couple of years now. You just have these huge, huge storefronts with four rent signs in the window. So this definitely accelerated things. It, it kicked it into overdrive. Um, and I that the same can't be said, by the way, for small businesses. Those have been directly tied to to COVID mostly, um, you know, formerly successful small businesses were just completely t- like wiped off the map and yeah, but Manhattan is, is a, a trip right now. I, Chinatown is on the verge of, of collapsing financially because no, really? one, no one's it's like the there. only real place left in Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's true. It's, it's just in a lot of trouble. It's hard to, they rely on foot traffic. They rely on a lot of transactions, right? Like that's how all those, those businesses work. They, they work on volume. And if you don't have people, which there just isn't um, a lot of, and just like a lot of things at play, you know, a lot of xenophobia as well. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I know it was, it was bad starting in like February, people stopped going there as much. I went to the Bodhi store at the end of February, which is just like on the border of Chinatown. Um, and it was, it was kind of a ghost town already. And that's been, that's been a big, uh, I guess, topic of conversation in, in the uh, local activist circles has been the preservation of Chinatown. Yeah. And, uh, it was the same thing here in Denver that like all of the Asian neighborhoods were, you know, victims of racist xenophobia, people staying away cause they didn't want to get COVID from going to a Chinese restaurant. Um, but ironically, like I, like when the shit was going down, like I, of course, like went to the Asian grocery store cause that was the only one that wasn't mobbed and still had stuff on the walls. And like, I knew like, Oh, I wanted rice. I wanted, uh, like dried squid. I want all these things that are shelf stable. Um, but yeah, it's the same here. And I think it's a knock on effect for pretty much every other big urban center in the States, uh, where property values are hyper inflated, including the rent. And with these small businesses that are operating month to month, uh, if you just have two bad months, like they're going to close up, unfortunately. Um, I don't really know a way out of it except for, uh, you know, like vacancy taxes have been floated for quite some time of like, unless you rent the place out, you have to pay, uh, a significant amount of money, like 
more so than you would lose by leaving it empty. It, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm always in favor as someone who lives in a city. I'm always in favor of those types of things. Uh, you get fined in in a bunch of cities if you let your you know your sidewalk get out of hand or things like that. Um, depending on the city and, and maintenance laws, I don't quite understand how empty storefronts specifically because of, I guess, sort of just like financial greed um, in a negative light uh, is beneficial to a neighborhood. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely be in favor of a vacancy tax. They've been talking about a commuter tax recently for everyone who's leaving the city. Um, there still isn't a ton of traffic if you look at like one positive in Manhattan specifically. Because in Brooklyn, it's like nothing ever happened because everyone in Brook- who works in Brooklyn lives in Brooklyn. But um, Manhattan is still empty. I think the traffic got worse in Brooklyn because like no one's taking the subway now, so everyone's just driving. Yeah, I mean, I'm not moving around a ton, and I take the train still. Uh, so um, the train has been pretty empty The and clean. The they clean them like crazy now. So that's not a, again, no positives here, but the trains are clean and empty. Did they bring so. the 24 hour service back? Cause they, they stopped it. They like shut down the trains from like, what, like two to five or something. Which I, I remember like fucked over a lot of people that were trying to get to like 6am shifts that lived in the outer boroughs. It's limited service on a lot of lines. Um, I'm not, and, and then there's definitely still supplemented shuttle service if they didn't shut it, like turn it back on for certain lines. Uh, but they, from what I know, at least near me, it seems like everything's pretty restored. Uh, they, they're starting to charge for the buses at the end of the month. People are pissed. Mm. Yeah, the buses have been free up until now. So Public transportation should always be free. Which is <laughs> one of those things like public schools that like makes everything a lot better. Park City, Utah. Our buses were free in high school. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. In Denver, the uh, 16th Street Mall commuter bus that will take you from the Cheesecake Factory to the M&M store, that is free. It's an essential journey. Essential journey. Oh, speaking of which, I did see there was one new retail opening in Manhattan recently. Uh, the Sour Patch Kids store has opened. There is a store devoted, you know, just like the M&M store. And the uh, Jolly Rancher store, there is a Sour Patch Kids store. That is like, I think... I'm disappointed. About 1,200 square feet. Why, why would I be disappointed? I, I I very much enjoy the Sour Patch Kids, especially the watermelon ones. That is my uh, gas station candy of choice. But I, uh, I just have to make that pilgrimage. I want to see how creative they get. I have no idea where this, this store is, but I will be doing, I will be doing my research. Post- uh, I think it's in Midtown, like uh, not too far away from the Macy's. I will which get is... by 2022. Um, okay, <laughs> plan your journey. <laughs> I have no 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 guarantees until then. Hmm. Like, what are some good stores even left in New York? Because like when I was there, it, it felt like a retail uh, ghost town, and this was in you know 2014 to 2018 that there were not a lot of uh, like small multi-brand boutiques that when I bought stuff, it was from like specific brands or like really small spots, vintage stores uh, or like maybe at CHCM or like Gentry when it was still there. Uh, like w- what is left in your opinion? 
less. Um, <laughs> Fewer. Yeah, not as many. Uh, there's, I mean, there's like the the greatest hits still get run. Like Nepenthes is still great. Uh, mm. There's always rumors of its of its like demise, but I, I hope they're untrue always because that pilgrimage is never not worth it. And I can just take the M all the way there basically. Um, yeah. And there's that two bros that's just on the corner. If you want dollar pizza. Yeah. Um, they're still doing great stuff. Uh, CHCM. If is a, like that's a very specific thing that they do. Um, but they, I, I assume they're still open. Opening ceremony was supposed to close this summer, but they closed up earlier which broke my heart, not because I shopped anything but sale. I was part of the problem. Uh, but I <laughs> I definitely liked looking around that store. Um, was that the one that was right by the Ace Hotel? It was like in the Ace Hotel? No. What's in the Ace Hotel? They might have opened one in the Ace Hotel, but that was down – the one that I'm thinking of is down on Howard, uh, like right across from Rick Owens. Oh. And, Next door to sleep right. bones if you're into very expensive yes. sleepwear. <laughs> if you uh, want a $250 set of pajamas. That's just the top. Uh, <laughs> you want the bottoms, get out like another $125. you are well over that tax. Uh, um, um, I would go to that Rick store somewhat regularly because I like I own one Rick thing, which was a uh, 6S toad leather phone case that they had on like 60% sale when I was in uh, L.A., a few years ago and I was just like, I want this. It's a 140 bucks for a phone case that this phone is going to be like unusable in the next two years. But, uh, it is one of the most amazing retail experiences I think I've ever had, uh, the Rick stores. You, you ever go into those? It is. I am so intimidated by those stores. Uh, see that's, I, that's the thing about Rick stores is they are incredibly intimidating. Like you're walking into a like club in the matrix, but the sales staff there are the most like approachable, friendly, like incredible people that I have ever met. And that's how I bought a phone case for you know, $140 in LA when I just went in to look. But the customers have like at least half of them are like the guy who's buying the mini disc from Neo in the matrix who brings them to the rave. <laughs> like a lot Maybe. of it's just a there is so i mean i i always go in to check it out and i always like i am stamped as someone who will not be shopping there the moment i walk through the door and mm-hmm. it's not like i wear weird stuff but um rick is an aesthetic i definitely like the furniture that he's got in or not the furniture i guess like but the fixtures the rick's like statues uh, the... very long couch in the second floor of the New York store. Cause you can just kind of go hang out there if you're tired and it's like, for whatever reason, it doesn't feel as sat upon as the rest of the store's furniture. Um, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I don't know who goes to Rick and just like sits down except for weirdos like myself. Um, not clothes yeah. designed for sitting. No. But yeah, other than that, like there's Kith has does what it does well, well, and then the rest isn't for me. Um, but they have 
their three-story spot on Lafayette still, which is a cool – I, I recommend going there if you're in New York. It's just – it's a very expensive build-out, and they have like a whole bunch of ceramic Jordans, and that's – I like it. Uh, again, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. There's – blue and green is still great. Um, although there's like weird time shipment wise, just because the brand selection where you can walk in and you'll be like, Oh, you guys don't have much right now. Huh? Um, but, but I really do like that store. I love their assortment. Manhattan. I don't know if you've been there yet. No. No, idea, no idea what their deal is, but they have a great brand list and do huge buys. Like, like 60, 70 piece capital buys and they buy like TSS, which I love. Um, one of my favorite brands of all time, hard to find now that I don't know why it's so hard to find. Um, I mean, I guess I do, but, hmm. uh, it's, it's not cheap and it's kind of weird, but, um, yeah, there's, there's still stores. There's concepts down in Tribeca that has like some, I like their sneaker selection, but it's, it's really hit or miss. Like idol's gone. Uh, Gentry, like you were saying is gone. Oh, I like Pilgrim surf supply in Brooklyn. Um, Pilgrim's really cool. I'm not a Mm -hmm. surfer, but I like, I like the store. Um, like half the stuff in there isn't surf stuff, right? I remember they had a collab with Danner that was really cool that, uh, Gerald was borderline obsessed with. Yeah, um, they, they do. They do great collabs. Uh, that that definitely tracks. Um, they do great collabs. They have uh, a really good climbing pant. It's like the Salath Salathe. I have no idea. I'm a just. I don't know what I'm trying to do pronouncing it. But um, it's a it's a really good climbing pant. I wish I had. They they do a good easy pant. Um, and they carry like a nice little interesting assortment and it's a cool shop experience. I really like them. Uh, but multi-brand is, it's like non-existent in New York at this point. I'm sure I'm leaving somebody off and people are going to be like, you forgot. And it's like, yeah, for sure I did. That's definitely my fault. Um, but that's, yeah, that's it's, it's just, it's like, I wish, Oh, 180 the store. Oh, the Williamson show, uh, showroom store. Yeah, yeah, that they're like right by La Garcon, and they're cool. Like they've got a good assortment. It's, it's yeah, weird. they have like Visvim and Nanamika and Shamala and Orslo, um, who's also I think at M five now, but they that store is cool. I've only I only got to go into it one time before, before COVID. Um, but I liked it. Like I thought it was a, a good mm-hmm. assortment. Uh, it's showroom stores are weird though, in a lot of ways, I think just because th- there's like a, I guess there's like a real defined rubric as to what can be on those shelves. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's hard not to look at it in that context. Uh, for is me. M5, do they have a store now? They had, they have an online store, which has great stuff. Um, Check it out if you haven't. Don't go to it's dot nyc, but um, I don't know what their retail experience is like at this point. I think you can make an appointment, but I don't. They were um, 
they made their name on Common Projects, right? And they so they did Stone Island, they do Barena, they do TSS, um, Presidents. Why you've seen Presidents pop up a whole bunch. Um, someone else, Paul and Shark, maybe Everest Isles, Sunspell. I think they've got like a really cool. They got a cool kid roster. Um, um, cool kid European roster. Yeah, and their styling is plus TSS. Uh, their styling yeah. is on point too. I really like their in-house styling. It looks like the old like uh, Justin Dean Gentry days. With it's the same model. Or it used to be, as Gentry used to use. He used an M5 uh, guy. So, um, yeah, I think M5 does a great job with like the styling and the assortment. As I, you know, talk shit just a second ago on it, they have like actually a really interesting mix. Um, usually, wish they had more, at least available online. But um, yeah, multi brand is is for now. It's dead. It's dormant whatever you want to say. Cause like yeah. even Nepenthes doesn't really count. Right. Like there's, yeah, it's that's like, just the, uh, the EG store plus needles plus South two West eight. And yeah. What's the shoe brand they have. There's like, I mean, well, so yeah, there's a few now. So it's like arts and entertainment. If you can find it, they'll like throw some stuff in there. They do a lot of different collaborations too. Like they had a keen collab, a new balance collab, a uh, Hoka one collab. Uh, the Hoka One collab is still hilarious to me. I mean, I just yeah, I am a sneaker person. I still run. I like all the elements, and I'm just like sort of laughing that Hoka Ones were like in the styling in the context of engineered garments looks cool. But like yeah. when I see dudes like trying to get one off in in the wild, just wearing some like Hoka Ones and some military pants, I'm just like, dude, like you. Like all respect in the world, but it's just like, what is happening? It's like a tornado of metaphors. Um, but yeah, the Hoka One collab, I'm probably gonna get ripped apart. People are gonna be like, that was so cool. It's like, I, I guess I just, yeah, I think it was cool. I just think it's very silly because like Hoka Ones are like the dorkiest running shoe, well, and they're explicitly shoe. that, which I guess therein lies the appeal. Yeah, they're right. They're like the anti-aesthetic running shoe. They're the running shoes for people who really don't care. They're like, I just want performance. Like I need a distance shoe with performance. I don't care how this thing looks. And so I guess that's the thing that like, I, yeah, so I, I don't know. To me, it's always going to be goofy, but I'm probably, you know, in the minority. Maybe not. Who knows? I have no idea how those sold. I, I don't even get to the performance aspect of it. Cause like when they came out, like I run a lot too. And I, I gave it a try at the running like shoe store. I'm just like, oh, what's that like? And I did not like it at all. There's like a complete disconnect from the ground. And I just associate it more with, you know, geriatrics that uh, need something very comfortable because their feet hurt and they need a lot of support as they like, you know, shuffle around uh, uh, the mall. That that is the that is the image I have in my head of a Hoka, which I, I guess that makes it all the more appealing to a brand like EG to to try it. Yeah, I think I mean I think that is probably the the key there. I just always like looked at it, it's like people who've had running or knee issues who want to keep running can rock a hoka and sort of figure it out from there. But like it's uh yeah, I, so they but they they're like it's probably my favorite store 
in New York, but that's not even really like a true multi-brand. It's pretty, it's really stark. It's one brand that has multiple brands. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all coming from the same the same yeah. sort of like uh, ecosystem, I guess. Um, but yeah, it'd be it'll be interesting to see if these like storefronts sit open for long enough. And I mean, the multi-brand model might be dead, right? Like it might just be too inefficient. And yeah, and the margins aren't high enough. Well, you take on so much risk as a third party. Like you, you know, because it's like, if it was a consignment model, it'd be a little bit different, but like, you know, for a lot of these brands, like, I mean, like yeah, Vetmont, they can't take the risk of consigning. Well, like Vetmont's like the funniest, right? Like Vetmont for like three years just was like, we're going to make literally anything and people are going to buy it and pay up front. And all that stuff was hitting 80% by the end of it. And it was like, no risk was taken on by the company. You know, that's, that's all the stores that end up having to take on that risk. And I just don't know how, like with sale culture, sort of what it is, unless you have your own house line that's dominating, which really isn't the true third party experience, right? Like at that point, it's like Norse store is one of my favorite online stores, but it's like that, you know, without Norse projects, I don't think they could do what they do. No. And, you know, it's kind of, it's a tall order to be like, well, yeah, like just do Norse projects. It's like, <laughs> I think a lot of people would like to. They had probably 200 stores <laughs> at its peak. Like that's a, that's a really good, really good brand. Um, not again, not really for me, but if I had to wear it, I'd find pieces. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the Manhattan, the Manhattan and Brooklyn situation. There's really like, there's this, like the weird little in Brooklyn, like I've got the weird little, you know, like streetwear spots. Um, but those aren't really representative of, of like menswear at large, right? Or mm-hmm. so. Uh, speaking of another retailer, uh, Patagonia this week announced that they were cutting ties with the uh, Xinjiang region in China amid reports of human rights abuses of the uh, you know Uyghur um, ethnic ethnic group there in the northwestern region of China. Um, so this is a thing that's sort of been going on for about two, three years, like been bubbling up in the media, um, about how there's this, uh, group of ethnic Muslims that are in the Northwestern region of China, like on the border of Kazakhstan, that the, uh, ruling party of China is very, very anti-religion, like anti-Islam and, there have been reports of human rights abuses coming out of the cotton fields that are hap- happening in Xinjiang. And Xinjiang cotton is one that has been like lauded for its extra long staple length. So like uh, in cotton, like the longer the like staple length, which is the length of the fiber, that means like the stronger and the softer the cotton is which was a thing that was like really big with um, Suvin cotton that came out of Zimbabwe. But uh, the difficult thing of this type of cotton is it can only re- be picked by hand. Apparently, like with this long staple length, you can't do it by machines, which was another like moral gray area we wrote about a few years ago um, in Zimbabwe because like this was all being picked by hand. And like this was when Robert Mugabe was in charge of Zimbabwe and any like money that you spent on your, you know, full count jeans. 
um, that used Zimbabwean cotton exclusively because it was good would eventually like end up in the hands of an abusive dictator. Um, which is sort of what's happening here of like Jinjang cotton was something that like Muji really prided itself on and like even had it explicitly in um, like ad mailers and stuff saying like we use this Jinjang cotton, it's strong and it's soft. Um, and there have been rumblings about like forced labor from the Uyghurs to produce this cotton and do the picking and like uh, um there's like cotton is probably one of the last or I, I don't want to say one of the last, but like there's a lot of forced labor in the world, but it probably the um, industry with the most forced labor in it. And that is pr uh, what it looks like is happening if, to the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. So Patagonia was the first of like big brands and like a lot of whom have been using this cotton in this region to make their products. Um, that has finally said, nope, we're, we're cutting it off, which is good that they're doing it in the light of these abuses. Um, but you know, how much plausible deniability do they really have? And it's sort of impossible as a consumer to be front of mind and all this stuff when you don't know where this is coming from or unless you're going to Muji and like you're paying really close attention to the news. Um, so had you heard about this? Is this something that was a uh, front of mind for, for you, Reed? Um, I had heard, I guess I'm familiar, very familiar with the Uyghur situation. I was not necessarily familiar with the uh, cotton. I, I, I mean, I think with all these things, you sort of assume with any human rights violation that production and manufacturing is going to be involved in some capacity. Uh, unfortunately, like there was the Turkmenistan slave labor a few years back, I believe that was still going. Yeah. Well, that was pretty well publicized a few years back. I mean, yeah. um, which is, you know, deeply unsettling for any fan of like, you know, jeans made next door in Turkey, which are a lot of jeans. Uh, I just, just, you know, I mean, it's just like proximity. I know that supply lines are far more and supply chains are far more complex than that, but you just sort of look at it and it's like, well, next door. Um, I think it's as a consumer, it's pretty hard to remove guilt at all. And I think the notion that you can, especially with a company as large as like Patagonia, um, which is about as good as you get in terms of a large company with, uh, Oh, I'm not here to scold them. Clothing. Yeah. I'm not here to scold them. They're great. You know, like, and, and they try to be even better than they are than they act than they can be right like they wish more people would turn in their old clothing so they could resell and refurb and resell them and things like that like they're really trying to do uh what they're talking about i just think that anything sort of as unwieldy as the current um supply chain situation is basically impossible to track like people have talked about how like blockchain and all this stuff will enhance it and it's like you know, for sure, but you're just going to have to have willing participants at every step of the way in a lot of these situations, too. And, mm. you know, which is like a really hard it's a really hard thing, I think, to keep track of. It's not it's not to absolve anyone by any stretch of the imagination. But I just think like what, like unless you're buying Roy Denim, where you can mm -hmm. track each fiber of cotton. It's really hard, but he makes like pair and a half like you know maybe like two pockets extra every year and that's i think the trade-off so it 
yeah, it's it's a really hard it's a really hard thing for me to sort of wrap my head around as a ruthless consumer. Um, yeah, it's like there's there's ultimately no ethical consumption under the capitalist system because like any of these large companies are going to do the minimum that they possibly can to still sell a product at the end of the day. And, and there are some situations that are more evil than others, uh, even underneath that system. And like where you draw the line um, personally is very, very difficult. Because <laughs> um, like even like people like us that spend most of our waking hours like thinking about clothing and where clothing comes from, uh, it's nearly impossible where these to, to track down these supply chains. Cause as you say, like the fibers of like, Oh, you can say maybe this like fabric was made in this mill, but then to go one step further up and go, okay, where was it spun? And then go another step up. Like where was the cotton grown? Like to find that as a consumer is, is, it's impossible. Um, unless you're shopping at Roy or like Raleigh or someplace where you can, uh, they're transparent enough to show you where everything came from. Um, and if you aren't seeing where cotton came from, it's sort of like, uh, you might have to make some concession that like forced labor was probably involved in that and, or be open to the concept, right? Like that's what I think. Yeah. I always- and you shouldn't be okay with it at all. It's not saying this to normalize it. It's more of a thing of like, pay attention. This is bad. We should do better. Yeah. I guess what I mean by okay with the concept is like, don't be defensive, Right. Yeah. Think about that stuff. And yeah, and there there's very few like I'm looking all over my apartment, I'm sure. I have Target furniture. Like there's no way that was made in good faith. Um <laughs> it's just like there's just no chance, right? Um, but we do what we can do, I think, in these situations. I think it's just also if you're trying to build up a company specifically for those reasons and not because you just like the product or how it looks. I think it's helpful to have those reminders though, in a lot of ways, right. That like up until what, August 18th, 19th, 2020 Patagonia was probably using cotton from the region. And so Mm -hmm. it's not like these allegations are, are new. I think John Oliver ran a segment has run multiple segments on it at this point. And not that he's the be all end all, but that's a million eyeballs on each of them. And so I think that, you know, and, and by the way, it's drawn a lot of press recently because of the president's sort of uh, indifference to the situation. I guess indifference is the wrong word is encouragement um, toward, toward the violations and And concentration camps. Yeah. I was trying to find like, that's a good idea. Like literally. So that's a good idea. I mean, I I don't think he knows what the word good or idea means in that context but uh yeah he's openly encouraging the behavior and so it was in the news because it's newsworthy so like i like it's it's sort of it's great that they're pulling out now like i always say like uh when i i work in politics in my other life or adjacent to and it's like i don't really necessarily care how you got here i just need you to be here um we can worry about the how later Um, and so like, obviously it's better that they're not using it going forward, but I think if you're saying, you know, they're infinitely better, they're of course better. Everything's on a spectrum, but if you're trying to, to hold up a company as, you know, like a, a soulful, compassionate entity, 
you, I think you got to always remind yourself that it's a company. Yeah. <laughs> like every, things. no company should be immune from criticism, like especially Patagonia. It's just like, they're not as bad as everyone else, but that doesn't mean they're not horrible uh, in certain contexts. Cause like as you said, this has been in the news for a couple years and it was only when I think it was like 180 human rights groups came together and called on a boycott for uh, cotton and goods produced in this region. And only now did Patagonia take any action. And, you know, I think they're a bellwether in certain situations too. Like they're probably the canary in the coal mine for other companies. And yeah. the fact that they were hanging in there, obviously you can't prove it. And like I said, this isn't on them, but you know, it's sort of like there's, if they had, you know, if they oh, had pulled great. earlier and made a bigger deal. Right, can you rewind for a sec? You dropped out there for like five seconds. Oh, apologies. Um, I did here. There's um, the, uh, so it's, I forgot what I was saying. Um, yeah. it's all good. No worries. Pivot. Uh, so speaking of politics, uh, I guess moving to something a bit more domestic is how, uh, the post office slowdown, which has happened under the, uh, Trump's new postmaster general, uh, Louis DeJoy, that seems like they're just, you know, like literally taking axes to mail sorting equipment um, for no discernible reason except to slow down the mail and uh, give an excuse to privatize it and uh, disrupt and suppress voting in the uh, November election, um, which was, again, another thing that was said explicitly by the president. Um it seems like the year of, you know, say the quiet part loud. Um, but uh, aside from the, you know, people not getting their medicine, not getting their paychecks, uh, not being able to hear from their grandchildren, uh, there is an effect on the small business, uh, people trying to ship their genes too, that like uh, the U.S. Postal Service is probably like the only lifeline that a lot of small businesses have that they can compete on the same scale of mega retailers like uh, Amazon, where they have access to that same uh, infrastructure network of being able to deliver things for a very, very low rate. Um, and yeah, if the post office is gone, a lot of these places are going to have to raise their rates and for uh, worse service and make their goods more expensive. Um, so yeah, post office, uh, we should keep it. What say you pro post office, big post office guy. I'm not a fan of the actual physical post office, like as an experience, uh, but I don't believe that's the post office's fault. Um, I think that a well-funded and well-cared for post office would probably be a lovely, a, a lovely experience. Um, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like the postal experience. They're like, I think this is just like, yes, yeah, it sucks. But uh, part of that is sort of heartwarming to me. Maybe it's just because I read a lot of Bukowski when I was like 18, 19 years old. And it was like, ah, the post office is so shitty. They don't give a fuck about the customers. Isn't that great? Because I was coming off of like three years of working in a hardware store. Um, and... Then when uh, I lived in L.A. right after I go to school. 
your framing of Bukowski as like a nihilistic retail employee is probably my favorite framing of Bukowski that I've oh, heard. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. It's like, I think the customer is always right. Is probably one of the most toxic parts of American culture, if it's not insane. the most toxic part. And it is uh, absurd. Uh, and seeing uh, like an institution like the post office where it is, explicitly hostile towards the customer uh same with like the dmv i i find it uh, I, and it should be better it would be nicer if it was better but a part of me is just like ha, ha, ha. and I, as i'm thinking about like when i worked at this hardware store and was abused by uh like 50 year old like homeowners um that would just yell at me why their sprinkler systems didn't work um i'm sorry i'm making this more about me than it should be with the post office great love it um, but if it's gone, it would uh, really, really negatively impact a lot of these small businesses that we were just talking about earlier that were are already hurting during all this. You can ship anything in the U.S. via the post office in two to three days for like, I think maximum fourteen dollars, minimum seven dollars, and that's not as a small business with like with a bulk rate. And yeah. and like when you see free shipping that companies are offering, like they can all and which like small businesses, the big ones, they just eat the cost and like the bigger you get, the easier it is to do. But, um, and not even because, uh, you just do that much business. It's because the more you ship with these like UPS and FedEx and like, and, and the, the better deals you work, the better deals you can work out and you can negotiate. And so, you know, it's basically like these stores are cool to eat eat $12 to get you your thing. If you're willing to buy from them for 300 bucks or whatever it is. And, um, it just, it, it adds an entirely different structure that they probably weren't encountering that ultimately we're going to have to pick up on the back end. Like we will absorb that ship in shipping costs. They're not going to, there's no way they can afford to just like start shipping FedEx or UPS, uh, both of which are astronomically expensive. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I've used both frequently in, in all my jobs, both the private and public to send a letter across town in New York via FedEx or UPS is going to cost you like legitimately $12 and it's 55 cents with the post office. And they arrive Mm -hmm. in the same time, the exact same amount of time. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think folks like it it's easy to politicize the issue because it's highly political right now, but I just don't think, and and obviously there are far more important things than, than clothing deliveries and like I, whatever else, you know, frivolous, whatever other frivolous things that people get in the mail. Um, I will also remind folks that it's like the only delivery service that uh, respects your fourth amendment, right. Of uh, unlawful search and seizures. So I uh, do with that information what you will, but um, yeah, it's, it it's seems drug, kind of, what am I saying? I, I said send drugs. That's what he's saying. <laughs> no, you don't send drugs in the post office. That's, uh, that's not helping anyone. You, I mean, but you can is the, I guess the point and they don't search your shit. And um, is, I, I don't know why I'm even talking about this. I'm not endorsing it, nor am I, uh, nor am I condemning it. It's just a thing. But 
yeah, I don't understand how you become the enemy of the post office. Like they, the priority mail structure is like one of the greatest things that I've ever encountered as a consumer shipper. And, and the fact that I can order from, you know, businesses all across the country and not pay exorbitant shipping costs and still get it expediently was one of the great luxuries of being like a, a clothing enthusiast in 20, let's not even mention 20, 2019, let's say, um, you know, and I, I thought that like, it's, it's sort of, it's fascinating how it can become political when it was a genuine convenience. Like the postal service sucks because every utility sucks. Like mm-hmm. the subway is the greatest public transportation system in, in the country. Not even, it's not debatable, like just the volume. And I find ways to complain about it every day because it sucks, but it's also incredible. And I think that like the notion that, uh, something that we rely on should be abandoned, not be made better is like on some blockbuster shit that I really can't handle in these delicate times. Mm-hmm. The, I like your notion of the post office as a utility. Cause that's like really what it is. There, there can, uh, it's very antithetical to the entire American idea of, uh, stratification of service of like you can if there's a basic economy version there has to be a luxury version but like with shipping there really is only one thing you can't have like a luxury shipment in a way i guess unless like someone is showing up and like uh uh presenting it to you on like a silver platter or something but it's just like it gets your ship from one place to the other and you don't really care about it so long as it uh, does it fast and it does it in a way that is reliable and will get it to you um, like in one piece. And yeah, like that's what the post office is of like we all band together and like have economies of scale for these things. It makes it much more efficient, cost effective and a better service. Um, But yeah, like switching all that over to, you know, DHL or UPS or FedEx uh, is yeah, like bonkers to me. Um, but I don't know. I could see why that is the, what you talk about utilities, that there's just a natural, um, aggression or just sort of like, uh, feeling offended by utilities and that they, I don't know, deserve to be fought back at in the same way that I sort of took some glee from like from the way that it, the post office experience is just terrible. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's fi- it's fighting like a thing that has negative connotations. But like I said, it's like, you're never going to like, if it works, you don't notice it. Like I've never mm-hmm. like gotten my package in two days, like right on time and been like post office. I love you. Like, I'm just excited that my shit got there. Like you were saying it's reliability and speed that you really care about. It's like, there's really only two things. And so it's just, it's a very, it's a very weird thing to have to protect. Like they always talk about, uh, you know, with previous pandemic responses, it's going to look like an overreaction if it worked. Like you'll never mm-hmm. get, you'll never get credit for things working because it worked. And like Y2K we look at as like a giant joke, right? It's like a historical joke if you're old like us, but it's because like hundreds of thousands of, of engineers, software engineers, worked like round the clock for a few months to try to prevent it. And then it looked like a big joke because nothing happened. Um, but they had to back up all the systems in order to get it to work. 
And it's just sort of like, if the post office is running great, they're basically just mean to us in like quicker intervals. But like, mm-hmm. that's, you're not going to notice it. You get your mail every day, regardless. You, you don't know when it's sent. Um, it just starts to hurt a little bit more when I think, you know, obviously it's meds or it's your livelihood, it's your business. And that's the thing that's so hard to, to fight with though, I think, which is just like, you know, it's, it's easy to be like, who likes the post office? Nobody except for David Shuck. Um, but, Even but and by, as a former retail employee, that was, that's a, a dream, right? It's just to be like, can I help you? Or yeah, can you help me do this? Nope. Don't want to. I close in 45 minutes and don't feel like it, but like, um, postal yeah. pay pay right here. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's sort of like the subway in that, in that, uh, regard though. Like when the subway is working, I just get on it and then get off it and go walk my dog like in, you know, in good times. Like that's like what happens. But when it's, and I don't think like, man, that was a smooth ride. I should like hit up, the MTA and be like, good job, MTA. Y'all are fucking killing it this week. Keep on your game. It's like, no, you just like, you just get, you just get through it. And I think that's, it's hard to sort of quantify those things if they're in trouble because it's not like we just remember the time. Like I remember the time I'm stuck on the Williamsburg bridge for like 35 minutes and all you can hear over the loudspeaker is just like, and it's, you know, it's pressure. You know, it's valuable information coming through the speakers, guys. Can we work on this? But like, you know, those are the things where it's like, that's what you remember, unfortunately. And and so that's what happens at the post office. Like you remember the time they lost your package, but they don't remember. You don't remember the time that they delivered, you know, your rent check on time for five years straight or whatever. Like those. Are, it's so it's it's a hard thing, I think. It's or it's an easy target, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, like. Obviously not as easy as they thought it would be because people have done a good job to stand up and, uh, you know, now the joy's testifying both in front of uh, the House and the Senate and he's halted all the changes until after the election. But it doesn't change the fact that like 671 voting machines have been decommissioned by some reports and yeah. that How we've already lost. Devices and- yeah, I mean, in, or not voting machines. Yeah, letter sorting devices have been decommissioned. And then you also have the the sort of countless hours that haven't been worked on overtime that have already created a backlog that, you know, hopefully will be able to be worked through by elections. You know, it's like there's just such, such a mess now that I've noticed in the past like week and a half, two weeks that some uh, stores I've shopped with for a while are now shipping like UPS instead Oof. ups around yeah which was a bummer for i think all parties involved you never want to see that ups ground tracking number like it'll start in new jersey and somehow go to like montana and they'll drop it down into mexico and then bring it to atlanta and then be like yeah we're gonna put it on a bike yeah and ups ground is the struggle shipment service Right, but we'll track it every step of the way. We'll we'll make sure we notify you when it's in Wichita, nine hundred miles out of the way. Um, but the, yeah, so is the impressive problem with the postal service like comes back to that two thousand six bill that made them pre-fund their um, uh, uh, retirement benefits for all their employees for the next seventy-five I mean, years, 
was like, you know, the Bush era conservatives and a lot of Democrats apparently like passed with resounding bipartisan support playing the long game to, to choke the postal service out. And it just sort of happened to coincide with right now. Um, this, you know, this is the, this year is the nexus of everything supposedly, I guess, until next year when things get worse. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think this, this was partly chosen to be the year, but thinking of, uh, I guess New York postal stories is reminding me of when, uh, we had that first wave of Quint hats, our, our second co-op that we did with Knickerbocker, that uh, we had 100 hats that I had like in my bedroom, my 85-square-foot bedroom in Brooklyn, that I had all packed up in like medium-priority uh, mail like flat-rate boxes. Because like you can order those boxes from the postal service and they'll just deliver you like infinite cardboard for free because you can only use those boxes to ship things priority mail. And uh, forcing my roommates and a couple friends to come over and help me wrap up those hats in Chinese newspaper and then tape them shut and uh, shipping them like the the first day they went on sale, we sold like 65 of them out of 100. And I didn't know that you could have the Postal Service come like pick up things from your doorstep and take them away. You can like request that. So I went to the like post office on 4th and 9th in park slope uh in my like roommate's car with a borrowed uh park slope food co-op shopping cart and rolled into that post office with 65 flat rate boxes that we were just like stacking in a corner of the post office because we had like five trips to bring them into the post office and like all the there's a big line and there was just like one uh, uh lane that was open and I was like, oh, these are all prepaid. And this woman behind like the bulletproof loose site was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, like, why did you bring these to me? I was like, I've got these. They're prepaid. I want to ship them. And it was one of those like windows that you had to open up. And like it was like the, the two way um, uh, bulletproof window where you could only put so much in and the person on the other side would open it up. And then that would be the first one opened up. So like no air could pass through. And we had to do this for like 20 minutes, putting them in like 10 boxes at a time and then unloading them um, when I learned there was a loading dock in the back. So, see, this is the thing about post office helping small business. Even if you're an, a complete and utter idiot like me at shipping things, you can still successfully ship out all your hats. It's, it's a staggering service that we are just about to abandon. And yeah, I mean, it's like one of the oldest things we've ever had. And it's like one of the only yeah. institutions that's specifically designed to serve not rich people. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it's been, you know, yeah, exactly. So everyone try to save the post office, call your people. Uh, if you want specific numbers, I believe the ACLU has direct lines to McConnell, all of his offices, uh, bang those uh, very hard. Just keep hitting those lines. Because you don't want to be paying $25 for two-day shipping on your jeans. Mm -hmm. They also have a great uh, sheet of Marvin Gaye stamps that I got. Marvin Gaye, denim icon. Um, And it is specifically the, like, picture of Marvin Gaye when he's wearing the red beanie and the uh, denim jacket on the stamp. Classic. 
Uh, I picked up a sheet of them. Even though I don't mail letters all that frequently, I'm happy to have them. The fact that we were basically going to have to have a GoFundMe for the post office in 2020, though, was just a subplot. Not expecting. Like, no. I bought the costume for my dog. <laughs> they do have a pretty good uh, merch department. Yeah, they're, and this is the thing. Like, I was predicting Postal Corps about two years ago. If you go back, there's a Heddle's article about the history of the Postal Service uniform. And, like, I honestly thought about, like, buying old Postal Service uniforms and doing, like, a Virgil Abloh Pyrex type thing where you just, like, spray painting numbers on Postal Service clothing. Terrible idea. I'm glad I never did it. But I'm just saying, I think we have finally reached the era of Postal Corps. It just, I was two years early. It was like, those, those colors, the uh, polyester pants, I, I think they're great. And you can buy all that stuff, and it's very cheap. You can buy, like, the like post office Gore-Tex parka for, like, 120 bucks. Hey, and that's that's uh, all the elements certified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, to another kind of mail here. It's a new segment uh, that I'm hoping to try out that I have done some on my uh, Instagram account uh, at DE Shock, just a quick plug there, um, but it's called PR Plop, which when you run any business of a certain size, especially a publisher like us at Heddles, you get a lot of emails, um, a lot of people that want your attention, and a lot of them are PR firms that are just like, sending you all the uh, latest releases that they can possibly throw at you in the hopes that uh, you will write about them and you will publicize their client. And uh, you eventually end up on a lot of mailing lists and you get hundreds of these emails a week of which I love going through them and finding the most ridiculous things that are being marketed to me. Um, so I, uh, just want to share with you a few of the choice examples from the past week. Uh, you ready for these read? I'm ready. Okay. So, uh, first one here, uh, comes from Patty Matthews, facial plastic surgeon, share how to make eyes pop behind that mask. In the new Zoom and mask wearing era, men and women are focusing on their eyes more than ever before to look more rejuvenated and refreshed while keeping confidence high. Delicate, thin-skinned around the eyelid is one of the first to age. Dark circles, crow's feet, bags, and swelling can make you look exhausted, angry when you're not, and years older. There are several impactful treatments for eye concerns, whether you are battling a combination of wrinkles, sags, or bulges. Fillers uh, to lessen dark circles. Botox to relax muscles around the eyes and lift heavy lid. Light therapy microdermabrasion, chemical peels, autologous fat transfer, and it just goes on and on and on from the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. Oh, got to respect the hustle of uh, the plastic surgeons um, having us to uh, feel insecure about the one visible body part that we still have during this pandemic and uh, going in and getting, I guess, unnecessary medical procedures uh, because our eyes might be unattractive in wearing a mask. Uh, truly, this, truly great stuff. This was sent by the AAFPRS. 
Yes. That is the organization. That is the longest acronym I've ever seen. Yeah. The, the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstruction Surgery. They're the world's largest specialty association for facial plastic surgery. Do they have competition? I don't know. For uh, facial plastic surgery, maybe the uh, Bolivian Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. But uh, yeah, focus the surgery of the face, head and neck It's like they got to eat, too, I guess. And like who's going in for nose jobs uh, during a pandemic? And I'm sure someone is, but. Uh, they yada yada, they yada yada face lasers in this press release on the light. They call it light therapy. And then if you go into the parenthetical, they let you know that they're just firing lasers into your face. Mm hmm. Oh, one stuff. So if you want to get your eyes lasered to look less tired during this (laughs) once a century pandemic. Uh, go check out the Afpers. Um, next one here. Uh, all glass garage doors trending high for homeowners. From Wauseon, Ohio, sleek with a contemporary flair, designer-style garage doors that maximize light flow through all glass panels are currently trending high with homeowners. Available with a variety of options from Haas Door, the stylish doors are accented with coordinating rails and styles in wood grain, anodized colors, and powder-coated colors. From coast to coast and everywhere in between, we're getting an increased number of requests for all-glass garage doors, says Jeffrey Knopfzieger, president of Haas Door from Wauseon, Ohio. People like the style of these garage doors. The all-glass design increases a home's curb appeal but can still provide privacy for the homeowners. So that's where I've got some issues with uh, Mr. Nofziger of like, w- what benefit is there of having a glass garage door of like, you know, it would just encourage teenage me to like, look and see if there was a uh, fridge there that I could go take beer out of. But uh, I-, I do not get the appeal. There's just this is for people who have glass refrigerator doors, which are specifically for people who are so organized that it's like part of their personality. Like, like when you like think about them, you're like that person is neat. Like, mm-hmm. you, some people are funny, some people are like inquisitive. That person is neat. Uh, I don't. <laughs> garages are supposed to be like your dirty closet of your home. As far as I'm concerned, like that's where just like shit piles up and you can sort of neglect responsibility. It's the one area in your home where it's just like, yeah, no, I have no idea what's in that crate and I'm not going to find out ever in my lifetime. And when I die, like some poor ancestor is going to have to sift through that shit. And I do not know why you would want to put that on front street ever. And I do enjoy though that like the hot trend during a pandemic is glass garage door installations that I think is like a finger on the pulse situation that needs to be commended. I see no benefit is it's a thing of like, I could get the glass fridge door. Cause then you can like look and see what am I going to take out of the fridge without having the fridge open and all the cold air escaping. Whereas this of like, you're going to stand in front of your garage door and like, look at your car. Um, 
and it would just, I guess, increase like heating and cooling bills because it's not going to be nearly as insulative as a not glass door. And you're going to have like sunlight go through the door and just turn that shit into like a greenhouse. Maybe if you wanted to grow like plants in your garage, I could see that if you wanted to have like a pseudo sunroom in your garage, I, I could get that as one possible use for this. But literally anything else is just asinine. <laughs> like you're gonna have the kids playing street hockey there and instead of like just a little dent they're gonna break a hole in your garage which is as stupid as it sounds <laughs> uh. <I> mean, <laughs> yeah no i i am not for the glass garage i reject i reject this proposal <laughs> no bueno um uh, what else we got here Okay, uh, new treats for your dog toppers. So you got these things that look sort of like um, like spice jars that you would have like basil and oregano in, but they are uh, doggy like uh, food seasoning that are labeled blood sprinkles and liver sprinkles. Uh, Hi, David. Farmhounds makes the treats that satisfy your dog's carnivorous cravings, but pet parents are noticing that this sustainable brand has so much more to offer. Okay, sustainable in terms of blood sprinkles. And, uh, curating ingredients from family farms, their sourcing practices directly support the farmer, which in turn benefits the rural community. In addition to direct sourcing, uh, yada, 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 just as humans love to season their food with a little salt and pepper to taste, dogs love these 100% liver and 100% blood sprinkles to enhance, enhance the flavor of their food. From 100% pasture-raised animals with the farm source always so shown, uh, super clean, super nutritious, they're packed full of vitamins and minerals. So it looks like they've just, like, dried Whoa. up blood and liver and, like, ground it up into sprinkles to put on your dog food, which... It's like, it's like the yeast like shit that, that, that movie theaters... Yeah. But for dogs. Yeah, you've got a dog. Would you treat your dog to this? I mean, he I'm sure it would it would go over well. But like so would so much. Like I'll crumple up anything and put it on his food if he's not into it. And my dog is like a candidate for this. This is not actually like that far out of the realm. It's just paying money for something called blood sprinkles is just on some true blood shit that I can't get behind. Like, feels very vampiric. Yeah, it's just it's not like you gotta. I feel like from a marketing perspective, like find a name that like that that's just a little bit more appetizing, and then like it's like yeah, you know, like a bully stick is a great example of this, right? Dog dogs love bully sticks. That's a bull dick. Like it's just a it's a bull urethra. Most people don't find this out until their dogs love the bully stick. And they're like, at that point, they're available. I'm going to buy it. And uh, A plus marketing. Right. And so like, you know, like you call that like, uh, like, I don't know, like something. Coagulated like uh, flavor. <laughs> no, I'm not even talking, like I'm talking like wizard powder or just like some, yeah. some dumb shit. Like I'll go. Possible. Yeah, you know, like just go go juice. Let's call it that. And it's like, all right, cool. I'll put go go juice on my dog's on my dog's 
food, but like, it's just the act of ordering because I, I, this seems like a DTC operation. I don't know if mm-hmm. this is like on my, on my local NYC pets shelves. Um, gotta appreciate how, uh, how upfront they are about it though. Of just like coming out and saying like, yeah, it's blood sprinkles, you know, written in like Dr. Bronner's font on a, uh, yeah, like, transparency is a strategy. It's not a rule, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like being transparent is dope. If the transparency leads to like comfort, but like, yeah. If you're, I, I don't know, I, like just looking at a jar of blood, I don't care if it's dried, is terrifying. Like th- this dude is holding up this jar of blood like it's like some like McCormick spices, like a, mm-hmm. like a dry rub, but it says blood sprinkles. And it's just like, can you reanimate that? Is It's mm-hmm. it's dry. Like, is it like like powdered milk? What it, What am I looking at? The liver, liver sprinkles, I, I'm just not even emotionally stable enough to get into. Uh, but like, yeah, I, I, again, this is another one I reject. I reject the premise or I guess I don't even reject the premise. I'm cool with the premise. Like yeah. I said, like I, I have chicken liver, like dried chicken liver treats that he likes that I am terrified by, but uh, we don't call them like sprinkles. Like that's an ice cream topper. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There's just too much dissonance on this one for me. Now that I'm yeah, saying it, I'm like, maybe if I got those, I'd put it on that dog ice cream I buy for him because I'm like an absolute <laughs> sucker. But uh, there's a store up the road that freezes sweet potatoes, banana, and peanut butter puree into something that smells weird. And he loves that shit. Like, absolutely is loves it. it. But it's like, it maybe if it's sprinkled. Or is it? Yeah, uh, they call it dog like, ice cream. They call it dog ice cream. It's actually very reasonable, but it's also like, like I, I think I can give him like an ice cube sprayed down with Pam, and he'd be cool with that too. So I don't, I don't really know what the ROI is. What you're describing sounds like something you could sprinkle like coconut shavings on top of and sell for seventeen dollars as a like healthy cleanse meal. I think they probably have the human version like next to it in the store, mm-hmm. but uh, no, I stick with the dog one. I'm not a, like, a huge ice cream person. It's like I'm not a monster. I enjoy ice cream, but I don't like go out of my way to to buy it. But I will go out of my way to buy him some ice cream. Mm. We have a real aversion but- to blood. I don't know if it's like an American like picky eater type thing. Is um. Like when I did my study abroad in Prague, there was this like late night food stand that I would go to very frequently that had like sausages and like fried cheese sandwich and like French fries and things like that. That was uh, open 24 hours a day. And I always used to love the uh, Staro Prazki Kielbasa, which was like this like dark red sausage that was like really flavorful, like uh, really tasty, like great thing to have a meal if you like forgot dinner or you were out like going to a bar or something. And I would get it all the time. And I remember like one of the uh, uh, clerks there was like, oh, you really like the blood. And I was like, excuse me. And they're like, oh, yeah, the old the Skaroprowski sausage. That's the one that's like 80 percent blood. And I was like, oh, I don't want that one. anymore. No, I didn't. <laughs> I wanted to keep ordering it, but I couldn't. I went to eating the Smajani Sear, which was the fried cheese sandwich after that. But like we uh, talk about- 
American ideals, like we always talk, it's like, you know, like pride and strength. It's like cognitive dissonance is like probably one of our core fundamental, like just like uh, American traits. Right. And like, mm-hmm. I will, like, I will buy like a, like a skinless chicken breast at the store and not think that is weird in the slightest. Like yeah. I need my stuff. Sep- I need it separated as far from like the, the, the blood, the, the violence that you can of just like, this is a thing like tofu that I am buying. Yeah. It's like, can you bread it and put it in nugget form? Like maybe even make it a dinosaur. So I'm just like, yeah, there's not, I I don't know what part of the dinosaur this is. I'm going to keep eating like, you know, this, yeah, I can't do that. I, I keep looking at this and I'm just sort of just being like, man, and by the way, I'm sure it's a good product. They're using like the unused parts of the whatever animal. Mm-hmm. They don't specify. They just it's just random blood. This yeah, is like another thing. Uh, the abattoir floor. Yeah, like what are we? It's they say 100 percent pasture raised animals. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this is how we get the next uh, the next pandemic of like you're mixing all these different bloods together in a sprinkle form. It's like. To I mean, some, like blood hybrid. It's you know they're like fully digestible human rate, like humanely rate. It's like no, for sure, but like fully. Di- what kind of animals? Super clean and super nutritious. Again, what like <laughs> this is where they put I- the blood that like the Red Cross has to throw out because it pops positive for hepatitis. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, See I mean we think. Got in there. It wasn't that big of a deal. Blood's blood, right? I don't uh-huh. know. I'm just completely slandering these poor people. I'm sure they're a, a nice business. They're located in, in Georgia. You know, it's regenerative farming. That sounds terrifying. Are these animals eating each other? Um, <laughs> it's starfish blood. This is. Uh, like, it it could be they could raise them humanely on a pasture. Like I imagine that pasture is looking a little different than what we imagine. But like, I, I'm they just, just cut off one limb. If you're back, they cut off the next one. They just go around like you know you're tightening lug nuts on a tire, but it's a starfish. If, yeah, if you're listening, farmhounds, like just list the animals. You'll avoid all this. The label might have to get a lot bigger if they did. I think um, just the materials, like they, they didn't even bother with the label. Like I'm just looking at their bullet points. At least this one had all the bullet points. The other one just mysteriously eye surgery. They're just like, yeah, we're not going to bullet the laser one. <laughs> leave, leave that one floating. I spend uh, far too much time building out these types of docks for, for those at home. Yeah. Um, it's a it's an industry that uh, a lot of people don't have to interact with, but uh, PR is big business, and targeted at uh, people like us to, you know, hopefully talk about their products in a sincere level, not um, to just rip on them because we think they're silly. All right. To be All fair, right. I feel like I need to backtrack. I'm looking at this image up close. I was about to go even further because it says ingredient single farm simple ingredient just just blood. And I was like, again, we're not getting there. They do identify on the outside. This one we're looking at is a Turkey. It's Turkey blood. Fair enough. I'm assuming Turk is Turkey and not the blood of a Turk. (laughs) Turkish people. 
<laughs> just or, or or an Amazon worker. Um, <laughs> Turk come mechanical. <laughs> you know. But uh, okay. yeah. Last one here. Did you know September is National Preparedness Month? Uh, did not know that, but uh, got six products to keep on hand at all times. So for National Preparedness Month, what what do you think would be in a uh, six products to be nationally prepared? Just off the top of your head. Think to of, be prepared? Uh, yeah, maybe like a flashlight. Uh, oh, um, see, this is where I was. This is why I would die first of the apocalypse. Like I would. Have you ever seen World War Z? Yeah. The you know, movie, like in the, I read the book. Yeah, the, the book is great, but the movie Brad Pitt watches a guy get bit early on. This is not a spoiler. It happens in the first three minutes. Don't at me. It's like 10 years old, but he gets bit by, or he watches a guy get bit a bike messenger and he goes to his watch and he times to see how fast it takes to turn into a zombie. And everyone I think in that theater was watching being like, yo, Brad Pitt's so smart. I hope I'm like Brad Pitt. And I'm like, I am the guy that gets timed by Brad Pitt to see how long I'd turn into a zombie. So like in my head, I'm like preparedness. I'm like, well, at least one pair of shorts, you know, and probably a pair of pants. Cause I like to have just like a, like a little bit of versatility. <laughs> and if we're talking like, I'm leaving myself one tool if I'm thinking about it. And I had a letterman or leatherman, leatherman, letterman's mm-hmm. a jacket. I had a leatherman. Uh, I feel like that would be something I'd want. A flashlight's dope, but if I got my phone, I got my phone. I'd want a Mophie. So there's like, you know, Mophie's a good one thing to charge. I like the branded one. I'm sure there are better ones out there. I I personally got a Mophie in some swag bag a while back and that thing is awesome. Um, I don't believe it has as many charges as it says it does though. Like it's like it has five charges and I'm like, how do you know? Like, how do I know? So, uh, no, I'd bring those things. I'd bring like a canteen. That sounds like a, something a survival person would bring. Some kind of water, some kind of something. Yeah, something to drink out of. And then, like, a, I don't know. Like, this is I'm telling you, I die first. I like um. a, camping to me is like shitty TV. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to camp. I used to run rivers and do all that stuff, but I just, I'm a city, I'm a, a city, a city man now. Um, uh, even with poor city preparedness, you know, nothing that, uh, you have listed is, is in this, this roundup for, for me, what I would bring, I don't know, as a, the Colorado representative, I feel like there is some pressure upon me, even though I'm mostly a city person of like probably battery pack, like flashlight, uh, water bottle, maybe chlorine tablets. Um, I mean, it depends on what are you prepared for? Are you prepared to like have a birthday party? Are you prepared to like, for a pandemic? That was a, yeah, I had an avalanche pack when I was younger. That was specific. Mm-hmm. Get like, your bug out. Yeah. A shovel and a beacon in it. But like, yeah. that's that helped me much in like a situation I'd find myself in present day. You know, and again, yeah, you're right. Birthday party, that's a very different preparedness bag is like a apocalypse situation. A much more relevant situation um, that I might find myself in until very recently. But uh, this is a genre of PR email that I, I like to refer to as the roll-up, where like PR 
firms. They represent a variety of different products and they like don't really have a way to tie them together. So they'll find something like this. It's just like really the bottom of the barrel of content scraping um, that I guess we are sometimes guilty of just trying to feed the beast. But this is so much more limiting. So it's just like, it's National Preparedness Month. Let's like throw everything that we've got into this email and say it's all for preparedness. So the first one they've got is a can of oxygen. Um, just like, you know, Mel Brooks is huffing in space balls of like clean air. That is a two liter pocket size can of boost oxygen. 95% pure oxygen. So you can take that like oxygen bar experience with you on the road for $77. And I think it is like one use only. Like you can't refill this thing. You spend the 77 bucks and uh, you huff it and then you're done. And like, you don't even really, have you ever done an oxygen bar? Uh, they used to set them up in, at Sundance when I was in high school. And it was like one of the few things that you could basically like just sneak. So yes, mm -hmm. I've done an oxygen bar. And as a yeah. kid who engaged in things I shouldn't have, it did not have nearly as much of an effect on me as I was hoping it would. It does nothing. It does nothing. There was a trade show once where they had a free setup for that. And yeah, I did it. And I was like, am I supposed to be feeling anything? I mean, maybe if you have reduced lung capacity or something of like you're really hurting, there's some people that medically need to be on oxygen. But if you're a healthy person, uh, this seems totally useless. Yeah, I mean, and I was doing it like 8,000 feet above sea level because that's where Park, Park City is high up there. And yeah, no, oxygen is... I mean, oxygen is great, but like bottled oxygen is trash unless you need it. That's that I'm comfortable with that take. Like if you're out here just like, like, uh, I don't even, this is like blue velvet, just sucking that shit up. Like, <laughs> like it's like, what are you doing? Like, oh, by the way, I just want to know what preparedness situ like situation you're preparing for where you're like, you know what? I'm going to be really short on oxygen at some point, but I'm also going to have the faculties to break out my can of oxygen. Yes. I mean, now that you I, mention it, if they did have one of these cans, but it looked like a can of Paps Blue Ribbon, I would probably buy it for the Blue Velvet appeal. Just for... <laughs> that, I respect that. No, like, I, I uh, Vertical Limit is one of my favorite. I'm a big fan of just, like, wow. everything goes wrong or disaster movies. Uh, story for another day but uh, yeah like maybe then like that would have been dope to avoid edemas after falling through a crev crevasse or crevice where are we, yeah. where are we settled in 2020 crevasse, um, crevasse. Sound, yeah pinky out I was born in crevice but like I am also like a I was born in New York like we say Mario and dumb shit um there's also an eczema honey well-being. Do you just rub – Is there? are they saying you just rub honey on yourself and you're good? Apparently. of uh, Yeah, this, this is another national preparedness thing is an eczema honey well-being kit, which I guess if you have eczema can never be too prepared. Uh, that includes a uh, face mask, so that's that's relevant. And then like looks like cotton like library gloves – when you're like handling a very sensitive book and <laughs> fun, uh, fun yeah. story. When we picked up Hender scheme at union made for the like two seasons, we had it. 
they couldn't figure out how to do the online orders because those things would just like completely turn the second you'd touch them if you had any oil on your fingers. So we sent those gloves out with every order of Hender Schemes and like in huge letters, like we're like, yo, if you do not wear these gloves while you handle them, we have like, we can't take them back. back. And none of those things fit because I don't know if you've tried on Hender Schemes, but it's like wearing the grates that are designed to torture the unhoused communities on your feet. Like that, they're so uncomfortable. I have no idea how people do Hender. Like every time I see a worn pair, I'm like, those are so cool. And then every time I'd consider it, I was like, yeah, but like, is there a way to do it without the knives? Um, mm. But yeah, we had those gloves. Same guy. If any one of you out there ordered a pair of Hender Schemes or a Hender Scheme product from Union Made Goods between the years 2016 and 2018, you got some of these gloves. You don't need to order this entire kit. You can just order the fragrance free gel. Why do they call it honey? I don't know because there's a little bee on it. There's literally not a single mention of honey elsewhere in this description. Yeah, there's no reason for honey eczema honeycomb. Maybe the bees have eczema and they're trying to raise money for bees with you know flaky skin. Let's try something real quick. So I'm just gonna rattle off the next three things, four things, and we're gonna try to figure out what this is for. <laughs> because we've got sneaker lab wipes which i'm sure are fine but like this is the birthday party kit you're referencing not the oxygen Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, then you have a restroom kit it's a compact all-in-one which provides the foremost essential items needed uh when using an an inadequately unsanitary restroom um, an overseat. Oh, you got a toilet seat cover, like a pocket toilet seat cover with rear pocket to support stability and alignment. Yo, they went an ergonomically designed toilet seat cover. You get a yard of three ply toilet paper. None of this two ply bullshit. A hand wipe. They give you a flushable tush wipe. It's a it's it's, yard of three ply toilet paper. You get a yard though. I feel like that's excessive compared to TP kits. Which are yeah. just biodegradable kits consisting of toilet paper and sanitizing wipes, where you get a single sheet of toilet paper. It looks like for two dollars, um, individually wrapped single sheet of toilet paper. You can buy ten packs though; they're ten dollars. So if you go with the economy of scale, you basically get fifty percent off, which seems yeah. like the move. Um, if you're in the like again, I I really told on myself by being like I'm not a a good like uh survival man at this point. Um, but I go hiking pretty frequently and I did grow up in a mountain town. So I did this stuff so often and there was like never a point where I was just like, yo, they need to individually wrap toilet paper. Mm-hmm. But I love seeing all the toilet paper, like themed products come out now. Cause like toilet paper was all up in the zeitgeist in like March and April and the people who got on it then are like just releasing things now, which is why you see like two toilet paper themed things. I'm reversing my take. Now I'm actually kind of jealous that someone had the, had the confidence just to go out there and be like, yo, you know what we're going to do? We're going to individually wrap toilet paper and charge people more than they pay for a roll. Like that is some shit. 
It's like the the shit that you see where there's like a in a like grocery store, like a Seven Eleven. Have you ever seen those where it's like an orange, but it's been peeled and then it's like wrapped in plastic <laughs> that you can buy for like three dollars uh, to save you the effort of peeling it and just to waste the uh, the plastic and make the orange like more stale for you. That's what I feel like you're getting with the TP kits. Not to mention the like cool like topographical map like uh, REI looking design that comes with it. Just I mean, very silly. It's yeah, no, that is exactly what you're getting with the TP kit. It is, uh, or the, this is like the uh, asparagus and water at Whole Foods of of survival products. Um, I'm just trying to figure out like a world in which it's just like, yo, I'm gonna be going to the bathroom, but only one time. Or possibly two. I'm going to be taking pre. It's just like yo, bring bring a roll of toilet paper. You, it'll be okay. If you got a backpack, we're good. And then the last thing, we've got a a geeky. I don't know what this. It looks like, like geek and key. I think so. It looks like it. It's the looks to be the size of a key, but it's a. Uh, it looks more like the thing you measure your feet with. Yeah, it looks kind of like a Brannock device. Brannock, that's looks, what it is. There you go. Yeah, it, it looks sort of like a thing that you would have on, like the uh, like Starship um, or the like Voyager satellite or one of these things of like if you had to rebuild humanity in the event of an apocalypse, like this contains all the instructions and in like a uh, stainless steel like uh, nice compact form. So it apparently, has sixteen yeah. tool functions. But it That's, doesn't tell you what they are. There's like nine of those are pry. They're like, you yeah. know, like they, there's no way this is 16. This is there's a, there's a, there's a uh, picture of an angle that I'm guessing is supposed to be like, yeah, hey, you can measure an angle. Yeah, but it's like not a full protractor. There's a looks like something you could unscrew a bolt with. Mm hmm. Definitely open a bottle. I'm giving it the credit for the. This looks like something you'd get when you were nine years old from like your parent or someone you knew that didn't want it anyway. And you'll be like, when I have keys of my own, I'm going to put this on the keychain and then it never go on the keychain. And then you get it taken away from you because you poked your sibling with it. Yeah. Like, or it has a magnet in it and you rubbed it on the TV. Like, the. <laughs> the... <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, back when TVs used to be fun and uh, react poorly to magnets. Yeah, you know, you can do you can only you can do so much damage. But yeah, so I actually have no idea who this is for. Like the oxygen, I would imagine, is for someone who thinks you can get stoned on oxygen. Um, seventy-seven dollars though. Yeah, they're talking about how much nitrogen is in the air. They clearly have never had some fun with nitrogen. <laughs> you know, I would buy that also if it was full of helium, which is apparently in short supply. And like, if I could just have one of these things that I could make my voice high and use it infrequently over the course of a couple of years and it would like stay juiced, that might be worth it to me. That is, I that was like, really a fun to like inhale balloons and talk all like in a high pitched voice. I think the weirdest part about all this stuff is this is like all classic infomercial bullshit where like if you had ordered any of it, you would have gotten 42 free things in addition to 
And that's like what I'm waiting for with like the my pack adult oxygen thing. Like I'm looking down and being like, yeah, but if I order now, do I get the free can of helium? Like if I order in the next 20 minutes, do I get triple the quantity? Like what, uh, what else do I get with this $77? Because this, there needs to be a gimmick. I'm not just like boost oxygen, get your shit together. Oh, all right. So if you've got any PR pitches that you want to send us and you want us to make fun of, um, you're going to keep emailing us even if we tell you not to. So just send those to uh, info at or blowout at heddles.com uh, and we will sort through them of the hundreds and hundreds of PR emails we get. Um, so I think that's all we got for today. Anything else that you want to plug or uh, get into? Not that I can think of. Uh, save the post office. Read Heddles. Cool. All right, thank you for joining us, and uh, we will see you back next week with uh, more happenings and uh, silly PR nonsense. Thank you for joining us. All right, thank you for listening, everybody, uh, especially all the way to the end. I hope you enjoyed what uh, Reed and I put together. If you did or if you didn't or even if you have questions about anything, feel free to email us at blowout at heddles.com. If there's anything that you want our specific take on, we would be happy to talk about it. And just one last plug for the Heddles shop and our new Teamster Tees. You can check those out at shop.heddles.com and get 10% off with Blowout as the code at checkout. Until then, hope you have a good week and catch you next time.